I want to finish our little section in Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish up verse 3. This is a little sketch. This is probably going to be the shortest message I've ever given in the history of this church. <laughs> I tried to squeeze every last ounce out of this verse. Remember these verses, I, I suggested to you they really are kind of a, an introductory sketch to identifying and warning about false teachers in the church. And false teachers can cover a broad spectrum and they can manifest in lots of different ways. And so this is kind of just a general introductory sketch in these first three verses. And beginning in verse 10 through the end of the chapter, he's going to, if I can use this phrase, color in the sketch, fill in the blanks for us and give us a much fuller understanding of uh, how these false teachers uh, function, how they evidence themselves, how they indeed they work in the church. Next week, we're going to look at, uh, begin to look at verses 4 through 9, and those verses talk about uh, their, their certain condemnation, their certain damnation and judgment. And uh, so we're going to look at that in great detail, plus some corollary kinds of things that I think will be helpful to you. This is the core of the letter, remember. False teachers. This is the core of the letter. This is the heart of this letter. Those Christians in the first century are not only undergoing great suffering and trials and persecution, but they were also having to endure the invasion of false teachers. Those who would come into the church and deceive people in the midst of their need, in the midst of their struggle and their trials. Very deceptive, dangerous people. And so Peter, not only in, in his first letter, warns them about trials and how to endure trials and suffering to entrust themselves to Christ, but in his second letter, he deals with the other issue, and that is false teaching, heresy, false doctrine, and so forth in the, in the, uh, in the church. Now, remember, the church is, is located, it's, these people are scattered. If you go back to chapter 1, uh, he ta- in First uh, Peter, he talks about uh, those who are scattered throughout the provinces of the Roman Empire. So this is... This encompasses lots and lots of people who have become Christians in that first century. And he tells them, he says, just as there were false prophets of old, just as, the, as, as ancient Israel had to endure false prophets. We read about that a couple of weeks ago. We looked at a number of passages uh, in, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah uh, that talked about where God spoke to the prophets, his prophets, moved by his spirit to speak his words, how they were pointing out and condemning the false prophets that were already in their midst. So Peter says, just as there were false prophets, just as God's people in ancient times, and even in the time of Christ, had to endure false prophets, he tells the church in that first century, and every succeeding generation of the church down to our day and into the end, that there will be false teachers among us. So he tells us that the, where they're going to function, certainly there are false religions and there are teachers and leaders, false teachers and leaders and all those false religions outside. The most dangerous are those who get inside. And that's his warning. 
And he says they're not going to be obvious. He says they will, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, literally damning heresies. They'll introduce things that will lead people astray to damnation. Remember, people come into the church not always ready-made, full, mature Christians. Certainly in a congregation this size, in all of our services, and as well the aggregate of all of our congregations meeting together, there are any number of people who are not saved. People are still on the fence. People aren't sure. People haven't really made a commitment. And those people certainly are ripe for deception and to be led off to damnation. But even those of us who are born again, even those of us who are saved, we can yet also still be deceived by false teachers. And through us, we can perpetuate, uh, uh, perpetuate, I should say, false teaching and then lead others astray unwittingly. So there's a grave danger, and we need to be aware. So uh, Peter says not only were there false prophets, then there'll be false teachers now. He wants us to be aware. He wants us to be able to recognize them. He says they'll secretly come in, and they'll introduce damning heresies. He says damning heresies even to the denying of the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ in their life and our life. And one major, one major teaching, one major heresy is that you can basically live wherever, however you want under the grace of God. So I'm under God's grace, so therefore I can do whatever I want. No talk about obedience. No talk about submission. Whenever you hear those kinds of words, you're accused of being legalistic and rigid, insensitive. No, no, no. It's submission. Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Obedience. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? You don't obey me. So the, the extreme, if you will, if you, he says it's, it's almost unthinkable, but the, but, the, but the reality is they'll even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. And we talked about that. And he goes on and he says, and they're going to be very, very, very successful. Not few will follow them, but many. Many will follow them. If you think back to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, we talked about the broad way and the narrow way. He says, not even many are on the narrow way. Few who find it. But many, they'll be very, very successful, these false teachers. And people will follow after them. People will follow after them. They'll imitate their lives because they're a leader, because they're visible in the church, and because the church doesn't kick them out, because the church doesn't discipline them, because the church doesn't confront them over their foolishness. There's tacit approval. And because there's tacit approval, people will follow them and imitate their lifestyle. Many will follow their shameful ways. And the result is what? The way of Christ. The testimony of Christ. The way of truth will fall into disrepute. The cause of Christ will be maligned. Our test, we won't have a testimony. The world is supposed to look at our lives. The world is supposed to look at our testimony, how we live our lives, and they are supposed to, what, glorify our Father in heaven. They're supposed to praise Him. Wow, God, thank you for putting those people in our lives. Sadly, that isn't the testimony of the world about the church. God isn't praised. God isn't glorified today. God is, what, mocked. Because his church is mocked because there's so many false teachers in the church today, tragically. We're no different from the earlier centuries of the church. We still have to contend with false teachers. 
And then he says, and this is, this is where I want to pick it up in verse 3 and talk to you about uh, these last two issues for Peter, that Peter has us to consider. The operating motive, if I can use that phrase, the operating motive. Why do these false teachers want to teach? Why do they want to come into the church? Why do they do what they do? What is the underlying cause? And he tells us. He says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Let me give you the translation from the Greek text, the literal translation. It's a little awkward in its its word usage and a little wooden, but listen to this. And by covetousness, with fabricated words, they will make merchandise of you. Wow. Wow. See, what drives these false teachers on the inside? What drives them to do what they do? That's the question we want to ask. Listen very carefully. They are not driven by immorality. They're not driven by immorality. The word asalgeia, shameful ways, that's translated, that's the translation of asalgeia. And it's a strong word. It talks about the licentious, immoral, shameful things that they involve themselves in. I mean, you can do those things by yourself. Doing those things doesn't necessarily make you a false teacher. Not a driven by immorality. That's not the underlying cause. You can be immoral all alone in your own little world just with the people you want to be immoral with. You don't need to be a false teacher to be immoral. Isn't that true? And if all they wanted to do was to fulfill their sensual desires, uh, they wouldn't need to be false teachers to do that. But Peter tells us there's another component. It's not immorality. There's another component. What is it? It's greed. It's greed. It's greed. The driving force of their enterprise to be teachers is not the love of truth. The driving force of their enterprise to be teachers is not submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not even sexual immorality. The driving force, quite simply, is money. 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 Isn't that always the knock on the church? Isn't that always the knock? Isn't it the worst thing in, the, in your worst nightmare? You bring your friend, you've been talking to your friend, get him to church, get him to church, and what does the pastor preach on? Money. You just knew it. There's a difference between the pastor teaching and preaching on money and giving and, and those kinds of things. And the motive here, the motive here is what? Them getting rich. Money for themselves. Big difference. That's what Peter's pointing out to us. The word that's translated in your text, greed, comes from the Greek word pleonexia. It literally means uncontrolled greed. There's no limit to it. Well, it's not just a little bit of greed. (laughs) It's uncontrolled greed. The idea is they're experts at it. They're in it to accumulate money and to accumulate money for themselves. And you watch them and they do it. 
There, there are people on television, I've, I, I just turns me off. The unmitigated gall to do and say the things they do and say, egregious appeals for money, and you just, you just go, oh my gosh. And people send it in. They're experts at it. Verse 14, in fact, says that, uses those very words. They are experts in greed. Experts in greed. What does that mean? The literal translation says, having a heart, mark this please, having a heart, having been exercised of greed or exercised in greed. In other words, they practice it. They work hard at it. They're experts at it. They can con money out of anybody. They want money. Peter says they want your money. They want anybody's money. And what do they do? Well, they move into the church. They move into the church. Why? Because we're, we're set up. We're prime, aren't we? When we come into the church, presumably... Uh, our guard is down. We, we want to come. We want to be in a safe place. We want to play, be in a place where people love us and accept us. And, and we can, we can like feel that we're at home. And Okay. So we're ripe for the picking, aren't we, in that sense? So they move into the church. And, and because of greed, because of greed, Peter says, they will exploit you. The word exploit comes from the word from which we get also the English word emporium. You ever heard that word, emporium? Same word. Same word. It means business, literally carry on business. Carry on business or to get rich from. The bottom line is they come into the church and they want to get rich off you. They're driven by money. That's it. They're, they're greed. And so what do they do? Verse 3, they exploit you. They get rich off you. How? How do they do this? With false words, fabricated words, phony arguments, twisted scriptures. The word for false, the word for fabricated, the phrase in, in the NIV, uh, stories they have, made, have they've made up, translated also false or fabricated. That word, interesting, is the Greek word plastos. Can you think which other word is plastic? Yeah from which we get the word plastic. Plastic. Now, we don't think about it anymore, but, you know, plastic got that name because it was fake. We say, it's not real wood, it's plastic. It's not real China, it's plastic. I mean, just look at your car. It's not real metal, it's plastic. It's fake. That's not a real metal bumper. It's a fake bumper. It's a plastic bumper. And when you see what's behind it, you're even more appalled. <laughs> Beloved, nobody ever makes plastic look like plastic. True? It has to look like what it isn't. 
It has to look like what it isn't. That's what plastos is. It's fake, fabricated. It is molded to deceive. Molded to deceive. So these false teachers come along. They come along with their false arguments. They come along with their, if I can say this, plastic theology. It isn't really God's truth. It isn't really the truth of Jesus Christ. It isn't really what the Bible says, although they'll quote it. It's molded to deceive you. Plastos. And then they're into their immoralities and because they've never submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not Lord in their life. And, and they're in the business. They're in the business they're in. It's, and it's a business. That's what it amounts to. It's a business. They're in the business they're in just simply to get more money out of your pockets. To make themselves rich. They are dangerous. So we've seen the, the sphere of their functioning, the sphere of their operation. It's in the church. It's in the church. Most of us are, are, are fairly aware of those false teachers outside the church and cultic religions and practices outside the church. But those in the church, we're not quite so aware of because they are so subtle. They secretly come in. They come in undercover. They come in and alongside. Remember Jude said, they're right there at your love feasts. They're right there beside you. You're not even aware of it. So they come in and they, they come in secretly, but the, the heart of the matter is is that they deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's their sacrilege of this, if you can, if you can say it that way. They just live any way they want. They're unaccountable. Not submitted. And as we said, they're very, very successful. So successful that many follow their shameful ways. Many follow their shameful ways. Probably, literally millions of people follow false teachers. If you were to add up all the false teachers and all the people who follow them, it would have to number in the millions of people who follow them. And then they cause the, the, the cause of Christ to come into disrepute. But the testimony of the church is no more. And the world mocks God, mocks the church. We're maligned, not for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. And the source, as we said, the source of all this, the, the driving force behind all of that is simply greed. They're greed. And Peter's last point is what awaits these false teachers. What awaits them? What does he tell us their punishment is going to be, their sentence is going to be? Verse 3, he says, Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Literally, it's for whom the judgment of old lingers not. The judgment of old... The verdict, the judgment, the sentence on them, set long ago. Jude 4 says the same thing. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. 
This was set long ago. If you go way back into the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, the first five verses, God says through Moses, if you find a false prophet in your midst, what should you do to him? Kill him. Now, we think our sensibilities today are, oh, that's, yeah, that's harsh, that's horrible. You know, shouldn't we just try to rehabilitate them? <laughs> no, God said, kill them. Because if you don't remove that, that, that leaven from your midst, if you don't remove that influence from your midst, the people are going to go astray and they're going to be let off into idolatry, as they certainly were, because the people did not obey God. They didn't kill those false prophets. Now, we don't kill false teachers today. We do call on them to repent, to turn and change. But generally they do not because they're so deeply, and deeply, deeply involved in their greed and their own self-interest and their own sin. Very rarely, if ever, will they repent. And so we're to have nothing to do with them. But in order to have nothing to do with them, we've got to recognize them, spot them. The verdict, the sentence was set on them long ago, long ago. The principle, beloved, that God is going to damn false teachers was set in place long ago. And it's a permanent principle by which God has always dealt with false teachers. It's always been so. Old Testament, New Testament, today and in the future. And he says that sentence set long ago against the false prophets has long been hanging over them. Oh my. That's kind of an awesome thought, isn't it? Long been hanging over them. Literally, it, it lingers not. Or if I can put it this way, it hasn't run out of gas. It hasn't been weakened by time. It is still potent. It is still effective. That condemnation that hangs over them, it isn't ineffective. It is still valid. It is still operative. It still stands. And their destruction, he says, their eternal damnation. And we're going to get into this next time. We're going to begin to look at the precedent, if you will, for their eternal damnation. And you get, a, you get a perspective from God's point of view of what he thinks of false teachers because of the effect they have on his church, on his people. He says their eternal damnation has not been sleeping. It's as if he personifies destruction. He personifies damnation. He makes it into a person, personality, if you will. If destruction, as if destruction were an executioner. He says, their executioner has not fallen asleep. He is fully awake. Woo! That's a horrible thought, isn't it? So again, Peter, as I suggested at the beginning, Peter sketches the false teachers, and we're going to see much, much more about them. And by the time we're done with this chapter, uh, hopefully you will recognize a false teacher if you don't already have a pretty good idea now of what to look for. question is, how alert? How alert are we to those who claim to belong to Christ? How alert are we to those who claim to teach on His behalf? And yet they do not, and they will not accept Him as the Lord of their life. They do not submit to His Lordship willingly, joyfully, happily, 
They will not obey his word. They will not obey his spirit. But they are literally given to living their life wherever they, however they want. A liberated lifestyle. How alert are we to these people? Remember, the reason they desire to be teachers is not the love of truth, is not the love of Christ. The reason they desire to be teachers so they can, what, get rich by exploiting the people they deceive. I'm always a little cautious when people come to me and say, I want to be a pastor. I say, why? Well, I want to teach God's Word. That's an automatic little red button to me. Why do you want to teach God's Word? Well, I just do. I just think it's good. I say, well, go scrub some toilets for a while first. Let's see if you have a servant's heart. Because if you profess to me that you want to be involved in vocational ministry, if you profess to me that you want to serve God and serve His people, let's start at the lowest place we can find for you. Let's see where your heart really is. Let's see if you're willing to serve without getting paid. Let's see if you're willing to serve and do toilets. Be a steward. Take the lowest place. And let's see if God raises you up and you have a valid ministry. How alert are we? How many people are deceived? Love of the church needs to be alerted to this. Especially in this age of television and internet and all manner of things being taught. How many are deceived? Dangerous. You know what Satan's goal is? Satan's goal, very simply, is to deceive as many people as he can deceive. His goal is to take as many people to hell with him as he can possibly do. He knows he's already gone. We're going to look at this next week. He knows he's already gone. But his, his goal is to deceive as many as he can, take them with him. And he'll work through his false prophets. He'll work through his false teachers. He'll get into the church. He'll infiltrate, lead many astray. God's goal is to snatch those from the fire and to destroy those false teachers. Destroy them all. That's his, that's his purpose. That's his goal. That's his will. He says it here. False teachers are all around us. They are all around us, and they've always been all around us, and we need to be discerning. That's why I suggested earlier to you as we were studying in the first chapter, not only are we to know our salvation, but we're to know the Scriptures. You say, well, I'm brand new. I, I don't know the Bible. Start. <laughs> Just start. Start reading. God means for you to know this book. He means for you to know His truth. And He's given you His Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you. And you, as you keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, stuff that you don't understand, you'll come to understand. I promise you. Just keep reading it. You'll know the truth. Because you'll be reading in context the entire Word of God. So we can be noble like the Bereans and we can ourselves search the Scriptures daily. It matters not if it's, if it's myself who's teaching or if it's Pastor Guy or Pastor Kurt or anybody else on our staff. Are we bring in any guest speakers like we did yesterday, couples only. 
A tremendous time, by the way, huh? Wasn't that wonderful yesterday? But it matters not who's, who's, who's speaking to you. I don't want you, none of us want you to just to take what we say and not check it out. That's why we give you the daily hope. That's why we, we try to help you go to mini church and talk and think through and, and help each other come to grips with what's been said. These are all tools to allow you to be better equipped in the Word of God so that you can be a Berean. How many know what a Berean is? Acts chapter 17. We need to be discerning, beloved. Would you agree with me? And I believe before we're done in this chapter, as I said, uh, we should have we should have been equipped with tools of discernment. We should be able to know to recognize false teachers, and we should be so motivated to warn others away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. I stretch it as long as I can stretch it. <laughs> so, let's close with a word of prayer and prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your warnings, Lord. Thank you for the clear descriptions you give us of false teachers. Lord, those of us who are teachers here, help us to rightly divide your word of truth. Help us to be mindful of our studies, Lord, and our meditations. Help us to be prayerful, Lord. Help us never to come to a place where we presume on your word and we presume to know things. Lord, help us to be guarded in our theology, but even more than that, guarded in our life. That we would indeed be submitted to you as the Lord. You are Lord of our life, Lord of all that we are and all that we have. Help us, Lord, as leaders of this church to model that for each and every member of our congregation. Our entire leadership team, Lord. Father, you protected our church over the years, and for that I'm indeed grateful. We ask your blessing. Lord, as we come to your table, you know each life, you know the condition of each heart, you know the trials, the weaknesses, you know the fears, Lord, you know the the griefs, the anxieties. As we come, Lord, draw our attention back to you. As we look to you, as we remember Jesus, Lord, I pray our hearts be full of thankfulness, full of gratitude, full of joy. Lord, that you would give us the fullness of your joy and your peace, even in the midst of whatever loss and thing that threatens us. And Lord, help us to, again, reaffirm our own submission to you as Lord. Remind us again that you are the Lord. You're Lord of all. Move us, Lord. Those, those who may be a little bit slow, move us to, to submit every area of our life to you. To trust you that your will is good and pleasing and perfect for us. Help us, God, to not trust and lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Thank you again, Lord, for Peter. Thank you for that faithful servant. Thank you for the words that he's delivered to us. 
Again, Lord, we ask for a hunger for your word. A hunger for your word. Amen. If you are with us as a guest, we, and you are a Christian, we invite you to take communion with us in the program.